Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fourth of our special summer series of podcasts. Uh, I'm your host this evening. We're without the wonderful Ash Brown, so uh, I will be taking over the reins from him and running you through uh, another short summer series pod uh, to get some background into some of your insiders and their love for all things brown and gold. Uh, and it'll be the last of our summer series because as we approach Feb, there is a little bit more happening on the track and we will get into pre-season content on the Insiders. So before we get into the topic, uh, I'd just like to welcome uh, co Joe contributors this evening, Daniel Prin. Good evening. Evening, Wacy. Good to be here after a bit of an extended break. Bit of an extended break, but uh, if um, if your activity on the WhatsApp group is anything to go by, uh, there's no break when it comes to keeping up with brown and gold news. Mara, Simon Morawitz, good evening. Evening, Wes. How are you feeling uh, about tonight's pod? Good. It's always good to, to go back through the memory bank. I like these. It's great. It's been a good series. Yeah, well, I think we're all, the three of us are all lucky enough to have lived through the three-peat, and that's probably going to have a fair contribution in terms of tonight's topic. Uh, so for this pod, you guys were both tasked with coming up with your top five Favourite players of all time. Favourite Hawks players of all time. Um, and just to preface it for all the listeners out there, we weren't saying the best players you've ever seen, um, the best in terms of players of the competition, your favourite players. So um, we'll go around the table, run through your top five, a uh, little bit of a reason why. Um, Prinzi, would you like to kick us off with your list? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just as a bit of a precursor, born in 1987, 36 years old. Um, so uh, the list is obviously going to be heavily slanted towards the players that I spent most of my time growing up watching and, um, you know, probably um, the majority of my fandom, my Hawthorne fandom. Um Number five on my list uh, is definitely not the top five best players I've seen at the Hawthorne Football Club, but one guy that just uh, captivated me for a long time. That's uh, a lot of people's favourites, Chance Bateman. Uh, there was something about watching those dreads in full flight, running down the wing, bouncing the ball, delivering it, you know, big up and unders into the into the forward 50. Um and something yeah, chance. This was before I knew that he was driving standards internally at the Hawthorne Footy Club, and um, you know, really paving a way for Indigenous players at Hawthorne. Uh, I just, I just loved him, and um, you know, then you hear the backstory of all that sort of stuff, and it just adds to the aura, and you know, you reminisce about um, who your favourite players were, and then that adds to you know the feelings, the positive emotions that you have when you when you're thinking about it. And yeah, Bateman comes in at number five for me. I think, um, you know, where a lot of Indigenous players are incredibly silky, and we'll get onto one of those a little bit later on in my list. But um, Bateman was just pure hard work and obviously there's a level of talent to make it as an as an AFL player and 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 he was a very talented player in that but he was sort of undersized and not the not the best kick but just an incredible work rate and always put himself in good positions to find the ball so um he comes in at number 5 for me um Quincy, one of my um one of my slogans always used to be and and we know Farlap's in the Melbourne Museum and I don't think his heart's there anymore, but it used to be, right? Uh, so I remember watching Chance Bateman and, and my tagline was that when he dies, they'll put his heart next to Farlap's in the museum. Bang. Yeah, and I, I think that's a beautiful summation of what we loved about Chance or Changa, you know, just the fact that, you could always count on him. And um, as a as a sportsman, my preferred um, 
sport to play is uh, the round ball football um, purely because I come from a Dutch family and I didn't really have a choice when I was a kid. Um, but um, I, my playing style was, was tough and committed and um, you know, hardworking and all of those things. So when I see that in a player, it's automatically attractive to me. So, um, you know, he embodied all of that, Chang, and uh, and what an incredible player and, um, you know, what a legacy also that he left at the footy club. Um, and I think there needs to be something in the future that, you know, uh, immortalises him at the Kennedy Community Centre, and I hope there, hope there will be. Um, <clears throat> number four on my list, um, and feel free to jump in, guys, but uh, number four is our head coach. Uh, Sammy, um, I was an avid, and I still am, but I was an avid Box Hill watcher when I was uh, in my late teens um, and uh, mid mid to late teens and, um, and picked Sammy in his first and only full season as a Box Hill listed player. And I said, this, this blonde kid with the bowl cut, which is actually coincidentally what I rocked when I was, uh, when I was a young man, um, he, uh, he was unreal and he was so much better than everybody else at the, at VFL level. I thought, man, I'm going to, uh, hitch my wagon to this guy and I hope the Hawks get him. And, um, and when draft, when the draft came around and, uh, the Hawks did draft him, mate. It was like all my Christmases had come at once because it was this player that you'd, you know, scouted in inverted commas. Uh, you'd watch develop a, a, as a Box Hill listed player and you just thought he's way too good and it proved proved to be the case, hey. So um, I don't know if there's a case of talking about guys that come in and really, A, have incredible talent, but B, work so hard to make the best out of themselves. I reckon Sam might be one of the best stories of that ever. Like when he was playing at Box Hill, he was an extractor, right? That's what Sam was when he first came into league. That's what BT dubbed him. But by the end of his career, he was just an exquisite user of the football on his left and right foot. And I think that talks about the hard work and effort and energy he put in to make himself better every single time. And that, whether that was the skills or building a, a, a tank um, to be able to run all day in in, in midfield um, or being able to develop um, playing, you know, on a half-back flank like he did a few times late in his career as well. Um, he was just an incredible player and an incredible leader and I think will be an incredible coach. I think there's... You like a player that, character. Yeah, like great player character. character. Yeah, and he's just like, he seems like a good guy, also a bit funny guy, and he had a big at Essendon that one time, so that's why we love him. <laughs> there's a, a really one. good... Uh, story in his book about how, um, and I might not remember it entirely factually, but when he was playing juniors footy and made the decision that he wanted to learn how to kick on the other foot. So he played like a whole season, I think, just kicking on his left to be able to like learn the skills of uh being able being equally as competent of both sides and then there was the connection to um training as well that he would be there after training finished and practice every single type of kick on his left foot snaps over the body getting it and checks it like everything so that when he got into a game and needed it on his left it is something that he had done and done and done before I'm like that's just that's just insanity, right? I I make I've read that book and I may be remembering this incorrectly, um, but wasn't it a conversation with his dad or something like that about what it takes to be an elite player? And uh, his dad said, "Well, you got to be able to kick the ball on both feet." So he said, "Okay," and then went and did everything that you've just said. And I just think that speaks about you know the, if you can recruit players with that type of drive if every single player had that type of drive and then they had their own skills and abilities and sizes and sh- shapes and all of that sort of stuff, you, you, you're setting yourself up to win premierships. And, and um, it's no coincidence that, um, you know, the basis of the, of the three Pete was, um, was, was Mitchell driven, you know, he set the standards. He was the one that, you know, uh, enforced 
uh, really, really high expectations on the group. And and it's why I'm of the belief that he will drive the group that he's currently coaching um, to be successful in some way, shape or form, because he just doesn't accept mediocrity for himself and he won't for others around him. And, um, you know, he's talked about as a player, that sort of um, maybe not resonating as well as it could have with, um, with those around him. But I think he's learnt enough uh, between then and now that he knows how to implement it in a way that brings people on board and that get, that brings people along for the journey. So, um, yeah, Mitchell was just, yeah, he was just something else. Um, number three uh, is Cyril Rioli uh, and probably shock that uh, Cyril is this low. If, when my dad hears this, he'll be really disappointed. Um, but Cyril, Cyril comes in at number three and, Look, maybe only because, I don't know, I still feel robbed that we didn't see enough of him. I, I just feel like we lost his prime years. and um, But, but I, I mean, I've never seen an 18-year-old kid that skinny makes make an impact in his first year like Cyril did. And, I mean, I, I'm still sad that he was robbed of the, uh, the NAB Rising Star, the whatever it was back then, um, for Reese Palmer. Reese Palmer. Um but that that year was unreal, and and I think if you look back on uh, Clarko's time as a head coach, when we were successful, he he barely gave young kids a gig. The only two real exceptions that I can remember were Cyril Rioli and Brad Hill, who got games early and they got a lot of them. And look, you know, Brad Hill's pretty handy. Cyril Rioli's, you know pound for pound, one of the best small forwards to ever play the game, in my opinion. And, um, and you know, he just did things so casually, so often that the average Joe, like us three guys on this pod tonight, could only ever dream of doing, you know, and like in our wildest dreams, the, you know, the goal against Essendon, the goal of the round against Essendon, where you just casually, you know, bang, 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 goal, you know, and there was just, there's just, so many examples of these things that he did. And it was like, yeah, look, I'm here just doing my job for him. But for, for us as fans, we would sit there, mouths wide open, jaws on the floor, just going, how? How did this man just do that? Like, you know, you have you have to be elite to play at the AFL level, but then you to be a player and do what Cyril does, there's like this tier above elite and that's what he that's what he had and that's what he did and I think you know talking about the things that we love about players one of the things that I absolutely love with players is that work rate and intensity and defensive stuff and um and and his defensive pressure probably revolutionized that small forward spot I reckon um I'm not not sure there was too many players that did what Cyril did before Cyril uh as effectively and um, you know, and then and then it became a prereq for anybody coming into. I mean, the Tigers won a premiership based on they just like just um, as many fast guys in the forward line as as can you know that can lay a tackle, and you know um, then we'll just move the ball super quick. And um, fortunately and unfortunately, you can't replicate what Cyril has, but just what an what an incredible player. I mean, we you know, I'll throw the floor open to you guys because. Um, everybody's got a Cyril story, so I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you go and share yours. I think he was also robbed of the goal of the year in his first season as well. That one against Richmond was clearly the goal of the year. Absolutely, but thanks, so, Mara. Now I'm even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know. There's so much you can talk about with him, but having tasted the ultimate success in 2008. Uh, for like for me personally for the first time and his contribution you know that that uh, the the contest on the wing tackle uh, like it's just it lives on in folklore right for him to be able to do that at that age at that stage of the game in a game that for all of us meant so much like for most of us you know we don't have Ashia but for a lot of us and a lot of our listeners that's the first real taste of success. Um, he was a ripper. I, I personally don't have him in my top five because my fifth spot was a lottery. So, um, and he was one of the two that I was uh, raffling it between. So we'll keep that 
we'll keep that under wraps for now. But uh, I let's, mean, let's get to your number two, Prinzi. I mean, that's good for content purposes, Wacey, but <laughs> there's there's something there's something wrong going on here. If he's not my, anyway. Luckily, it's subjective. We'll right? see. Um, well, you'll you'll <laughs> see, and and we'll see if I can justify it. All right, let's let's get that. Um, number two is uh, the player of my childhood, and the only player that um, you know got me excited for football when I was in school, and we were rubbish. Uh, and that's Shane Crawford. Uh, Crawford was just yeah, like I was in I was in high school, and high school's high school's weird, right? So um, you go to high school and you either walk taller or shrink back based on how your footy team is and how, how well they're going. Unfortunately for me, our success was pre my high schooling days and post my high schooling days. So, you know, I copped a torrent of abuse for our team being absolutely rubbish. And in that transitional period, as I was in, in school, but um, you know, in that period of time, Croft won a Brownlow um, in that period of time, Croft was one of the best players in the AFL, an absolute running machine and, and a man who put the Hawthorne footy club on his back and single-handedly carried it for half a decade or more. And, um, and, you know, I think I was at the 2008 grand final. That was my first grand final I attended um the that's what i'm talking about will live long in every hawthorne fans memory but like like all of us i look back at that day and i go i i probably i look back at it all fondly but that's probably my my um my real core memory of it is just i'm so thankful that we could send out a champion in that way because that is exactly what Croft deserved. And, you know, if you look at other clubs and some of their champions who haven't been able to experience that, I just wouldn't have wanted that for Croft. So I, I look at a, a great comparison and they were they were rivals on the field in their playing days, but Robert Harvey at St Kilda um, is, yeah. is their equivalent of Croft. Um, and he goes... He'll never, he'll never taste premiership success, and and a player like that deserves to taste premiership success, you know. And a player like Croft deserves to taste premiership success. So, um, I'll always be grateful to Clarko for for helping us win that two thousand and eight flag ahead of time um, to be able to send out Croft with a fitting fitting tribute. And uh, and what a player! Um, just had it all, just had it all, and. Um, and again, hard worker. There's a theme. There's a theme with the with these these guys in this list. Um, you know, they're hardworking. They're tenacious. They're you know skilled in in various ways. And, and Croft was all of those things and more. Uh, he was also an incredible showman. I mean, we see that now. But he he was a showman off the field. You know, the footy show stuff and all that sort of gear. But he was a showman on the field, man. And he he. He was the first player that I remember going, I need to go to the footy to watch him. We sucked, but I was like, I will go and watch him. And, um, you know, I remember the day he kicked five against Geelong, I think it was, um, uh, and just I just remember watching going, this guy's this guy's unbelievable. What a footballer. So um, that's my number two. I don't know if you guys have any comments to make on uh, on Croft. I'm happy to leave. Go on, Mara. Oh, just the same thing. Being a character helps so much, and, and he was so so funny um, off the field for, for so many years. And I'm happy to leave my Crawford comments for when I get to him in my. Oh, list. so he made your list? Oh, that's good. <laughs> Settle down. Wait and see. Wait and see. <laughs> Settle down. Um, as we uh, as we bring in the drum roll to uh, find out who your number one is, I think it'll be. Uh, I think it would be a fairly easy guess, but Prinzy hit us with it. Yeah, before I do my number one, it, like we're pretty lucky to have that. There's got to be some serious names that aren't on this list, um, and it wasn't. No, an easy no, job. you've already mocked me on my non-serial yeah. appearance. So because yeah, you, getting a, ready, you had a, no, I'm getting ready. You had a non-negotiable, and I, what I will say is. Um, one of my favorite players to watch was Lance Franklin, but he hasn't made the list. And I think that's purely because, um, you know, for me, moving on at the height of your powers um, and going to play for a rival just diminished that 
joy that I got from him. Um, now, over time, that that those wounds have healed, but um, but Lance would have been in there. I think it, it might have been on the top if he stayed at Hawthorne his whole career. Um, but our number one is um, is is the Hawks, uh, you know, spiritual leader and uh, and absolute champion of our football club, Luke Hodge, and um, and it, it he's number one by quite some distance for me. Uh, um, the combination of just being a real country footy legend, but having the most incredible skills um, and being able to, he had this ability that's, I, I really, I really enjoy um, analytics and, um, you know, data and being able to um, compare and see how players match up and, and, you know, all that sort of thing. But Hodge kind of broke that mold because he would just do the right thing at the right time. And there's nothing to really track that or or measure that or or anything. But you knew just from the eye test, you know, if, if we were having a good game, it was generally because, you know, Luke Hodge was playing well out of the middle. Or if there was trouble happening and the other team was getting a roll on, all of a sudden, Luke Hodge would be in the, you know, in the back pocket or the halfback flank, taking a, a goal saving mark, or, um, you know, if if the flag needed to be flown uh, physically, you knew who was leading the line, um, you know, and uh, and all of those things make for an incredible leader, but they make for an incredible footballer. And um, Hodge, just the perfect combination of skills and toughness and leadership and, and all the things that, um, that you want to see. And I think, you know, um, again, I was a hack, I'm a hack footballer, a round ball footballer, but, um, I tried to, I effectively tried to be the Luke Hodge of the world game when I went out there and played. Now I'd, measure up and fail miserably, but that was my aim. I was like, if I can lead these boys like Luke, Luke Hodge leads the Hawthorne footy club, I can walk off with my head held high. And I think if you're inspiring players and young people and people, I'm not young, um, to go and play in their particular sport, but play like you, I mean, that's, that's something else, isn't it? And I think that speaks volumes of the man. Um, and that's why, you know, him being back around the club whenever it happens needs to happen ASAP um, because I think he just inspires the next generation as well. So, yeah, that's it for me. That's my list. Beautiful. We won't take comments on Hodge from you, Morak, as I'm sure we'll get to him. On that, leader, on that leadership thing, Quincy, my brother always used to say to me, and we're cricketers, we're a cricketing family, so as a batsman, he would always just say to me, what would Steve Waugh do? So, like, you get hit, what would Steve Waugh do? Like, you're facing adversity, what what would he do? How do you replicate what he did as a leader and as a cricketer on the field? Which is funny because I'm more of a Mark Waugh person myself, but uh, that absolutely transferred into the Luke Hobbs leadership. Like, if there's one person that I would always have said to Ethan throughout his playing days and what what would Hodgie do? How, how would Hodgie act right now? Like you've got to be tough or you've got to suck it up and keep going because that's what Hodgie would do. So anyway, lovely list. Nice work. We'll circle back around to you for a follow-up um, once we're all through ours. Mara. So Bateman, Mitchell, Rioli, Crawford and Hodge. Just before you get into yours, Mora, how many of those five have you got on your list? Three. Wow. Three of the five. All right. Well, without further ado, hit us with them. I will make a comment on Luke Hodge here because he is not one of them. Ah, uh, end transmission, end transmission. All of a sudden, Frenzy, uh, how's my Cyril Rioli? Not on the list right now. Oh, you're absolutely, you get off scot-free. This is a, this is a joke. Did now, you prepare I to say that Luke Hodge may be the greatest hawk ever, um, dis- distinguishing between greatest and best? Um, and for me, I noticed him most on the days that he wasn't there and we just looked rudderless. 
but we're stunned. We're a little bit stunned here. We're a little bit stunned. This is is, these are favourites. These are not the players you appreciated the most, or respected the most, or needed to be on the field the most. Um, These are favourite players that you go to watch. I never went to watch Luke Hodge. All right. Well, if Luke McCabe gets on this list, then we might have a few issues. But let's start then. Uh, although you know, there's there's potentially a reason for over the next few years to start talking about Luke McCabe. Regardless of that, Mora, let's go number five. Number five is Bud. I did put him on the list. Um, like all Hawthorne fans, was resigned to him leaving for GWS and really the shock came that he, not that he was going, but who he was going to. Um, but I think 2014 um, kind of put pay to that and seeing Hodgie give him a little kiss on the cheek meant that I was, I was okay to like him again. Um, and I've actually really quite enjoyed watching him in Sydney as well. The fact that he hasn't won one probably helps. Um, but just when, you know, every time he has a milestone, 300 games or 500 goals or whatever it is, they put out the best of hot, uh, best of Franklin, and it strikes me how many of the best 10, 15 moments that he has, which are in and of themselves ridiculous goals or plays, so that they're not picked for the moment that they're in, but they are all in the last quarter, or with a game less than ten points in it, or some other critical moment of the game. Um, He's box office and he's just brilliant. And like you said, if if he was at Hawthorne the whole way through, it would be not negotiable to put him number one. Um, so perhaps if we were doing this list nine years ago, it might be different. Um, but man, I love that man. Um, number four. Oh, I mean, do you, would you like to comment on Franklin or my lack of Hodge? I mean, you've commented on uh, that. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, I think we might reserve that for um, maybe for our listeners. <laughs> uh, well, let <laughs> let's just get through your list, and we might um, we might yeah. convert at the end of it. Number four, number four is uh, Chance Bateman for all the reasons that Princey said. Um, I also I'm about the same age as you, and I, I wasn't unaware of all the context in the background and uh, almost trade, and I don't even think I knew he was our first Aboriginal player. Um, I just loved him. He's so much, so exciting and so much fun to watch. So he makes my top five. Um, I've got Croft at three. Again, also for all the reasons you said. And, and man, him winning and retiring was just the best ever. Um, number two, I've got Roughhead. Probably um, ahead of Franklin because he stuck around, but he was just such a heart and soul dude. And didn't have he looked so dorky next to Franklin, but he was just so reliable. Um, and him kissing the badge in 2008 and then kicking five in a grand final half a decade later, it was so good. And then the personal stuff that he went through to stick around and then captain the club afterwards, I'll, I'll just always have a soft spot for him for that. Um, and number one is Cyril, which I think kind of goes without saying. Wow. Uh, is there anything else on Cyril you want to be adding at this point? One of the underrated highlights of Cyril Rioli's career was that mark he took against Essendon. Um, it got lost a bit because it was in the game where Franklin kicked his two goals, um, which also, by the way, dwarfed uh, Bo Mustin kicking one of the best goals you'll ever see from 55 on the boundary. Like, where did that come from? Um, but Cyril just under pressure, sticking one arm up and the ball just stuck in there and he brought it in. And unfortunately, he missed the set shot. He hit the post and Tom Harley said he was probably aiming for it. And that was just, it was a good moment. Nice one. So just to recap, Mora's gone with fifth buddy, fourth chance Bateman, third Shane Crawford, second Jared Ruffhead, and first Cyril Rioli, so a bit of a mix there. And so I'm sure uh, as we get to the pointy end of mine, it will potentially highlight uh, a little bit of an age gap, the extra half a dozen or so years, at least to you, Prinzi. But uh, starting off number five, as I mentioned earlier, um, it was a raffle. It always has been a raffle. 
there hasn't been a significant standout. And in fact, for my other four guys, I have the individual pieces of memorabilia for them all, but not for anyone that I would consider going into number five. So Buddy's my number five. It was a Buddy or Cyril toss of the coin. And I am the most bitter about everything that happened than any other supporter on the face of the planet. I can, I can tell you that. And one of my best mates is a Sydney fan and um, he will tell you that as well. I'm still angry and bitter to this day. But some of the stuff that Buddy did, some of the feelings that he evoked, some of the emotions that he gave us, the goals against Essendon, uh, the running through the centre against Collingwood. Uh, I talked about one of my favourite games, the elimination final against Adelaide. The number of times he did something and people around me were up cheering and I couldn't get up. Like I was literally just sitting there in absolute disbelief. Like how can someone do this, let alone someone his size, uh, like absolute freak. So um, that probably contributed even more so, like you mentioned Prinzi, um, the other end of the spectrum and how uh, bad we've felt. And, uh, you know, Morrow, you've been able to forgive, but for a lot of people they haven't been able to. Uh, I think that's bookended the other way for me and some of those feels are, uh, like something you'll never, ever experience again, I don't think. So Buddy gets my number five. Number four for me uh, is Sam Mitchell. Uh, I think similar spot to you, Pringsy. Again, like his story, the elite talent um, that he was, uh, his contribution to the most successful era, you know, arguably in football history, our club's history. Um, I love the fact that when I did Kokoda uh, a few years ago, um, his book was my nightly read to unwind and just escape uh, and reading his whole story, but also like his whole experience on Kokoda while I was on Kokoda was uh, quite amazing. So, um, yeah, unbelievable footballer, um, fantastic leader, fantastic captain, and definitely um, it, it, he'll potentially rock it up the list if he finishes his managerial career uh, coaching us to a premiership. Like, he'll, he'll not necessarily be in that top player spot, but in terms of my top, Hawthorne spot uh, if, if he can coach us to a, a premiership that would be insane uh, number three on the list was Luke Hodge and Hodgie um, certainly made a play for number two uh, I think that I was a late um, late admirer obviously there was all the fanfare early days there was the crowd issue i was at that best and fairest when uh crowd was traded um wasn't angry but um hadn't necessarily bought in and then we had the first couple of years of him being overweight and yeah prinzy i wrote a letter to the club when they traded trent crowd i was that upset <laughs> Yeah, I, right. I literally I wrote a letter and I got my mum and dad to post it to the footy club. Yeah, that was a devastating time. Turns out that you know my uh, my favorite my favorite ever player. Um, so the club kind of knew what they were doing. Yeah, no, um, you weren't. You you could have been one of those uh, kids in in one of the newspaper articles. Oh, and he emptied his bank account and sent his two dollars thirty five with the letter. <laughs> To the club that got passed on and that convinced Crow to stay didn't quite that was me. out that way. That was me. Yeah, you um, never hear about the letters, the letters that don't impact the club at all. No, no that's right. The other 5,000 of them that turned up that day. Um, I mean, what, what else is there to say? Like the ultimate 
the ultimate big game player, the ultimate man for the moment, the leadership that we talked about. Um, you know, we've we've had to sit through the Richmond dynasty and people talking about Dusty and and what he has been able to do on the big stage and um it for me is like reliving what Luke Hodge was to us through this period that again I tell the kids they're never ever gonna live through something like it ever. Like I I feel like it's kind of like COVID. Like at the time you know that this is like something that you have never seen and may never seen again, but you don't actually appreciate what you went through till a little bit after it. And I guess similarly in terms of Hodge as a footballer, it's probably similar to that, that you don't really appreciate. Uh, Even watching him at, you know, his leadership at Brisbane and going, uh, he's just one of a kind. I think that's just one of the similarities between COVID and our three-peat end, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. Maybe we'll put a, put some sort of a poll up or suggestion, COVID and Hawthorne Football Club, share your thoughts on similarities. Um, number two for me, uh, again, in the school of Danny Prince, Shane Crawford. So um, Shane was, I'm not scared to say it, he was my first real man crush love. Um, I idolized Shane Crawford. Um, I loved and I still think back to the one-on-one duels. You mentioned Robert Harvey, but I think, you know, straight off the top of my head, the the Harveys and the Herds and the Cooters and Buckleys and Paul Kelly and where literally you see them go to each other at the start of the game, shake each other's hands run for 15 kilometres just on each other, both of them ending up with 30-plus possessions and a couple of goals each when 30 was, you know, these days 40s. And, oh, like, he was an absolute, absolute warrior. Um, and I managed to get to um, to the Box Hill um, final up on the Gold Coast uh, at the end of last year, I can say last year now, um, and Shane happened to be there uh, with his with his son. So um, I still get totally get the you know fan boy uh, with with anyone, but with Shane. Um, so I walked up to him, said good day, uh, and he spent about forty minutes just chatting about the world with me, um, and it was amazing. Um, and I wasn't very happy when I got back to the hotel room because I told her that, you know, in, in trying to make him understand just how significant a role he played in my life, like all of my passwords to my life still involve his name in some form. Uh, she was like, oh, well, you better change all of your passwords now. So, um, yeah, there you go. Anyone who needs to hack me, uh, you've got an in. Uh, I think he was a little bit uh, he was a little bit embarrassed, but again, you know, we 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 had a good chat for about thirty five or forty minutes, and um, it was it was literally a dream come true. That's when he put the restraining order out on you, right? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I mean, I don't know how much detail I go into. Uh, I um I told him that um, my mother in law actually had booked tickets, which she did. For us all to go and see Joseph in the Technicolor Dream Dreamcoat, um, which we went to at the end of last year, and it just so happens to be the one week of leave he had taken from the show, so I didn't get to see him. And you know, maybe maybe Princey, you're right, and it's connected somehow. But um, <laughs> y- you know, some of his some of his goals on the run from fifty, the horse celebrations, the being at his milestone games. Um, again, one of my favourite early pieces of memorabilia is his milestone um, monster portrait with him doing the one-fifth celebration. Um, 
So he will always, always hold a special place in my heart. And then number one on the list, uh, no, it's not Luke McCabe and it's not Cyril. Um, again, I mentioned the age thing, but Jason Dunstall. Um, I was lucky enough to watch a lot of Jason Dunstall footy, albeit through the 90s, not through the 80s. Um, and Dunstall, for me, was um, exactly, Prinzy, what you described as Croft being for you, which was literally, no matter how bad we were, you could go to the footy just for Jason Dunstall. And on a crap get crap day out at Waverley with it pouring in the you know in the bog and the wind and the cold, he'd still kick four, five, six without any effort. And the craft work and the artwork of him as a full forward and as a teammate was just insane. So he's who I grew up going to watch where Again, it, it actually didn't matter that we were crap and it didn't matter what was happening. Um, watching him in full flight was something else. Um, and actually, we, we had the pod the other week about our big regrets. I still remember when he kicked his 17. Um, I was on a scout camp listening to it on a transistor radio. Um, again, showing showing some age, but... um. One of the regrets of not having been there, but um, certainly, certainly not surprising. Listening to him bang them through one by one by one. So, yes, apologies there go to Cyril, but it was Buddy five, Mitchell four, Hodge three, Crawford two, Dunstall one. So a nice little um range of players, and and so Prinzy, I'm going to circle back to you. Because um, the next question as part of tonight's instalment is um, players' numbers that you had on on your back. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that actually correlates with your list of five players. Yeah, so the first number I had on my back was uh, Shane Crawford. Um, and I had that for quite some time. <clears throat> um uh, at the same time, um, I got a, a Nick Nick Holland jersey, um, so I was rocking the number two for a while, um, and and thoroughly enjoyed Nick Holland. Um, I think he's a much better thinker off the footy field than he is on the footy field. Um, very smart man off the field, not so quick to make his decisions when he had the ball in hand, but um, could definitely clunk a mark, um, and was very attractive that way. From me as a young man. Um, after him, um, there was a long period of time where I didn't have a jumper with the number on it. Um, and then it was Chance Bateman. Um, I had then I rocked the number 10. Um, I've still got the old, the jersey, I think, where I had the number 10 on it. Um, and yeah, and then it ended up being a oh no, this is actually a Jager O'Meara jersey um, by default. <laughs> Um, oh, you didn't burn it, did you? No, I didn't burn it. No, I unlike others on this podcast, I uh, I have quite a lot of respect for Jager O'Meara, um, and and look, I think I'm this one. I'm going to probably cop some flack for this one, but I legitimately have a Dale Garlett forty four jersey, and I thought I thought wow. And I've got it and I can get it for you if you want. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to be ahead of the curve here. This kid's super talented. <laughs> he's going to go. He's going to do great things. I can say that I was, you know, I was on, on the train from the start and he didn't last to January. <laughs> and now it's uh, – then and, and last year it was a John Newcomb jersey. Um, and, yeah, and – now I think it's Hustweight or something like that. But um, yeah, I bought that uh, in the – between between when Dale Garlett was drafted and Christmas when he got the lemon and sass. <laughs> oh, um, wow. It was a small but... window to be able to buy a Dale Garlett jersey, and yet here we are. Uh, so that was actually the last jersey number I bought because if that's your hit rate, 
why would you keep buying them? So um, it's yeah. interesting. I was looking up some of the stats the other day, and apparently there were three Dale Garlett jumpers sold during his career at Hawthorne. So, um, well, there you go. Now, I'm 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 legitimately one of them, and it's in my cupboard. If anybody <laughs> wants it, it's still in my cupboard. They That's also say that. They also say that seventy-seven uh, percent of all stats are made up. So, uh, make of that as lucky you will. Is, lucky this is in the twenty-three percent. Then, Mora, let's uh, let's talk jumper numbers. My first jumper number was seventeen um, because I was babysat as a very small child by Paul Hudson's sister, Perry Hudson. Wow. Um, so Peter Hudson's daughter. So that was pretty cool. Um, Disappointed it wasn't because of Brendan Crummel, but anyway, is what it is. Well, <laughs> um, it's funny you should mention that because it's he's point... fourteen. Fourteen. So that's that's my apologies. I don't know what happened there. My brain just, uh, yeah, that's bad. That's okay. Point... We'll yeah. edit it out. Yeah. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> At some point, the, the top of the seven got knocked off, like it got ripped off or something. Um, so it kind of evolved into a very wonky 11. Um, so then for a bit, it was Darren Jarman just by circumstance more than anything else. And it was funny you mentioned that because then Darren Jarman um, left and the number 11, the next number 11 was Darren Kapler. Darren Kapler. Yeah. So the, I best, guess the was... best player I've ever seen at local footy, just by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the, I think there were only three people who were rocking at number 11 during da- the Darren Kapler era. So Darren's yeah. parents and um, but that that's pretty much it. Um, I don't I don't think I really had a jumper since then. Um, but I did. There was a point where they well, they they had this promotion where you get a mug and you could put a number on it, and it comes with like this the 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 jumper on one side and the number on the other side. Um, and so I picked I picked nineteen because I figured every club's got a three, every club's got a nine. But nineteen is pretty uniquely Hawthorne with the. Dunstall, Dixon, Gunston. Um, so maybe, well, maybe not anymore. I don't know what I would do if I had one now. I'm kind of cut that that Giant can drop the 44. I really liked but him it, in that. It had, but it, but he looks good in three already, nice. doesn't he? Yeah. He does yeah. look good in um, three. Mini Lee. It's a, it's if he a, wanted to be down the other end of the locker room, I don't know. Yeah. Could be. For sure. Well, I've had three numbers throughout history on jumpers and they were a combination of all of your numbers once again. So the number nine for Shane, uh, the number two for Dutchie, and I was probably one of his most staunch supporters. In fact, one of my favourite then pieces of memorabilia, I was really good friends with someone who actually Darren knows him really well because Darren and this other friend studied law together with Dutchie. So um, I have another friend who managed to get his hands on, uh, we won't say how, a Holland Grove street sign that was taken to Dutchie to get signed and, and sent back to me. So I've still got Holland Grove signed by Dutchie on a street sign. Um, so n- number two on the back of the jumper and then similar to Mora, but for different reasons, I went the 17 on Daniel Chick and loved Chicky. Um, not enough to get anywhere near the top five, but um, there were a good couple of years there where he was, um, yeah, the love was real. The love was real when we had that just injection through the midfield. Uh, right. So uh, any any final words or thoughts? I mean, no doubt we'll get lots of comments from our, our wonderful band of supporters. I'm not sure whether that's going to centre around um, Hodge not making a top five or if that's going to centre around um, someone not just purchasing, but openly admitting that they purchased a Dale Garlett top. 
I'm bringing uh, honesty to the podcast. That's what I'm bringing at all at all cost. Look, I had a go at you for not putting Cyril in there, and everyone had to go at me for not putting Hodge in there. But I didn't hear any 33s or 15s in the last segment. No, that's yeah. Fair. Look, it's interesting. I was always personally when I was, you know, and Chicken Hodge probably uh, are fair reflections of that. I've joked about Luke McCabe throughout this podcast, but I actually really, really liked him. Like I thought he did his role as a back pocket every week and back through the through the years, especially the early years. And again, it flies in the face of me using Dunstall and Croft in my top two, but I had absolute admiration just for the guys who did their role. Uh, and when it came to numbers, it was also, I don't want to have the same number as 5,000 other people. Like, who's the number I can get that shows that, um, you know, uh, I've got an appreciation for people who just play their role. Yep. Yeah, that's what it was so for you me. Can bring with, the 15 uh, out now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, thanks. Very much, Princey. Thanks very much, Mora. Another great uh, chat and stroll down memory lane. Um, thanks to all of our listeners for jumping on. Um, we've had some good numbers through the summer series. It's been great to be able to keep you guys entertained. Um, please feel free to comment, uh, abuse, respect, well, whatever, love, whatever you like. Um, let us know who'd make your top five. Let us know your jumper numbers and why. Um, thanks again for everyone who uh, has been listening and interacting with us on social media. We'll be back on board in the next couple of weeks, getting stuck into pre-season ahead of season 2023 proper. Thanks again, Prinzi. Thanks again, Mora. Have a good one, everyone, and we will catch you again Thanks.